0: Welcome to the podcast of Scott Street MB Church. We hope you find this message inspiring and encouraging in your walk as a disciple of our Lord Jesus Christ. I love this passage of scripture because it's so clear. God's intention for us is that we are to be free. We're not to be bound up. That's our calling. That's God's if you ever wonder what God's desire is for you, is that you would be free. And we never have to wonder about that. His word makes it abundantly clear. We've been called. So what is it then that sets us free? Well, if we were to read in John chapter 8, verse 32, it says, Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And Jesus then tells us in John seventeen seventeen that your word is truth. So it's, it's the, the holy word of God that has the ability to set us free. So I would ask, if that be the case, how has your diet of reading the Bible been for you? I think if we were to draft a list of things that we as Christians ought to do, it would probably be near the front of the list. But I think if we were to draw a, a, up a list of what we actually do, how high would Bible reading be on that list of priorities? It's one of those things where we know we should. But where does this actually come in? Are you feeding yourself with the truth? Or are you feeding yourself on what the world has to offer? Now, when you hear one thing as a positive, you, you can usually assume that the opposite of it is the negative. And I think it's safe, safe to say that if, if it's the truth that sets us free, then the opposite of truth binds us up or imprisons us. It holds us captive is what it does. Things like error, things like falsehood or a lie, they bind us up, or even ignorance. We read in Isaiah, therefore my people will go into exile for lack of understanding, and the New King James, instead of exile, says go into captivity, because they have no knowledge. See, knowledge of the truth has the ability to set us free in our spirit, but not knowing, not having an understanding of what it says, is what binds us up. See, that's not what God wants for you. I mean, he doesn't want us bound up. He doesn't want us to be held captive. He wants us to be set free. So that begs the question, what is this freedom? What does it actually look like? When you read the scripture, it says you, you have been called to be free. The first verse says Says, it says, it, it, it's, it's not for freedom that Christ came to set us free. It says, stand fast, therefore, in the liberty, with which Christ has set us free, and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. Now, I'm afraid for some, when we talk about freedom as a Christian, they seem to think it means, well, anything goes. Anything whatsoever goes. I'm free. Bible says so so I can do whatever I want. This is not freedom. Paul gives us some parameters here in Galatians chapter 5. He tells us, he says, do not use your freedom to indulge your flesh. So the freedom that God wants us to live in is not to do whatever we want, but to have the power to do what we ought to do. It brings us back up. You see, before you're a Christian, you are bound to another master. And we're going to look at that. It's the master of the sinful nature, the sinful flesh. You are bound to obey it. But what Christ does, is he brings you back up into that place where you are able then to choose on a daily basis what to do. Let me give you some, some examples. Uh, freedom for the athlete is not to take the ball and run up into the stands. As soon as he crosses the sideline, he loses his freedom. They blow the whistle and the play is over. Freedom for the fish is not to jump out of the fish ball because then it loses its freedom. Freedom for the train is not to jump off the tracks and go off through the field. Everything with freedom has parameters and so also the Christian life. I used this example last Wednesday morning in our Bible study that I am free because I have an Ontario driver's license to drive anywhere in Ontario and, in fact, anywhere in North America with my driver's license as long as I obey what? The parameters of the law. Because if I break those parameters, I lose my freedom I lose the ability to go wherever and whenever I want. Freedom comes as we operate within the boundaries that God has set up for us. And so here, the reason that God wants us to be free is so that we can serve one another humbly in love. The word serve in the Greek is the word "dulio," which means to be a slave. Now this we don't understand too well in Canada. We really don't have that much of a concept, but in the time of Christ, slavery was a normal part of everyday life. You could actually serve, uh, become a slave willingly, or you could bind yourself to a master And that was part of their everyday life. But some would say, if I'm a slave, then I'm not really free. Well, hear what Paul says in Romans chapter 6. And we looked at this last Wednesday morning in our Bible study. Verses 16 and 17, it says, Don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one you obey?" Whether you are slaves to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness. But then he says, but thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves to sin, that's past tense, you have come to obey from your heart the pattern of teaching that has now claimed your allegiance. See when it says you have come to obey that indicates a choice that you have made. There was an evangelist years ago by the name of Charles Finney who would talk about the moral choice we make. We have we used to sing a chorus that says I have decided to follow Jesus. It's a choice that you make. It's a decision Billy Graham in his evangelistic crusades would talk about people making a decision To receive Jesus as their Lord and be born again. Well, in Galatians, Paul adds in verse 18, you have been set free from sin and become slaves to righteousness. Sorry, that was in Romans. Romans chapter 6, verse 18, you've been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. See what it's doing? We are made in such a way that we need to serve someone. That's how God has wired us. Before you're a Christian, you are bound by the evil nature to serve sin. You had no choice. Why do sinners sin? Because that's what they do. Why do babies cry? Because that's what they do, it's part of their nature. But when Christ comes into your life, he allows that chain to be broken so that we are free to bind ourselves to another. And what is that other? It is every one of you. We bind ourselves to each other in love, to serve one another in love. The two greatest commandments have been mentioned already today. You love God. And love people. Pretty simple, isn't it? You love God. You love people. This then becomes the basis of our freedom. The ability to now obey the righteous action of serving one another humbly in love. Now, Paul will give us an example of how this works in our text. Galatians 5 in in verses 14 and 15. He says, for the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out, or you will be destroyed by each other. Now, there's a couple of principles that are at work here in this verse. Uh, The first one is, as we've mentioned, the second great commandment, which is love your neighbor as yourself. But the second principle is called the law of the harvest, which we're going to touch on it just a bit, but it really means you're going to reap what you sow. Now, Paul elevates the second command by saying that the whole law is fulfilled in this one. Now, we've just finished a series in Exodus, and last week Sabrina mentioned how there was something like 613 commands that were given in the law. And all of those 613 commands were were given to them to teach them how to, to live with each other, how to live with God, how to do things the right way. And in the New Testament it says, listen, if you take all of those 613 commands and you boil them down into one, if you love your neighbor as yourself, then you get the whole idea. If I treat you the way that you ought to be treated and you treat me the way that I need to be treated, then all of those 613 commandments, we don't have to worry about the specifics because we've got the idea to love each other, to do it humbly, and to do it in love. Now, it sounds a little simple when you say it that way, but how many know it gets a little bit more complicated than that sometimes? I I mentioned this recently. It was either at Bible study or at Chat and Chew. And there's a little saying that says, to dwell above with the saints in love, well, that will be pure glory. But to dwell below with the saints we know, well, that's a different story. So Paul elevates this second commandment. Several chapters were given in Exodus. Exodus one verse. See, that's why God leaves you here on this earth after you're saved. Do you ever wonder? Do you ever wonder why as soon as you get saved, he doesn't take you immediately to heaven? I've wondered that. Of course, there's a few people in my life that I'd wish that it happened. But then they probably wish that with me too. And it happens most often, you know, when we're driving... Down the road, and someone cuts us off. You know? But God leaves us here to serve each other. What we have in the church is a small glimpse of what it's going to be like in eternity. We're going to be changed. But we are going to dwell with Him and each other for eternity. See, we've spent enough of our life before we we're a Christian on satisfying ourselves, and now it's time to devote ourselves to the humble, humble heavenly task of serving others. And Paul is going to acknowledge that it's a struggle, that it is a battle, and in fact, in Romans chapter seven he goes into a detailed account of how he struggles with the old nature compared to the new nature. And he uses words like, that which I don't want to do, I end up doing. And what I want to do, I don't end up doing. And if I do what I don't want to do, and, I'm... and he gets all frustrated and he says, it's like a body of death that's tied onto me. And how do I get rid of this old, old nature? That Paul... It says that there's also an incentive here. It's called the law of the harvest. Turn over to Galatians chapter 6, verses 7 and 8. You don't have far to go. It's the next chapter, okay? It says, do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please their flesh... From the flesh will reap destruction, and whoever sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. You're going to reap what you sow. So in your garden, in your life, what seeds are you planting? Because the seeds that you plant in others is exactly the harvest that you will reap back to yourself. And he's saying here, if you bite and devour one another, one another, you're going to get bitten. The way you treat others is going to come back to you. Now, the world has a, has a word for that. It's called karma. Well, they can have their words because the principle is the same. It's called the law of the harvest. And God came up, for it way, came up with it way before they did. One of the first rules we learned as children was the golden rule. We learned to treat others the way we ourselves wanted to be treated. So, how do we do this? How do we make this transition from selfish, self centered living to this Christ centered serving others? Well, Paul in verse 16 says this, walk in the Spirit. In other words, we need help. The word walk in the Greek is the word "peripateo," which means to tread all around. Or in other words, our daily life, where we go on a daily basis. We do so in our lifestyle our daily manner of living, to walk in the strength and power and presence of the Holy Spirit who lives within us. In fact, Jesus, before he left this earth, said to his disciples, you will receive a power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. This power was the dunamis, the explosive TNT type power that the Holy Spirit came to give. And Jesus, in in John chapter 14, 15, and 16, says, Really, it's going to be for your benefit if I leave, because then the Holy Spirit will come. And the reason is going to be better, because he's not just going to be with you, he's going to be in you. And he will be that constant presence every moment of the day. We are to find our strength and our power by the Spirit of God who lives in us. Now, we know from our MB Confession of Faith that when you're saved, when when you receive Jesus as your Lord, you are baptized or filled with the Holy Spirit. He comes to take up residence within your life. And then the confession goes on to say, but then we need to be filled on a continuing basis. He gives us a full tank. Now... One of the things that I really enjoy is I, I, I love when I fill my, our, our car full. I, I love that feeling of a full gas tank. Isn't that a wonderful feeling? Uh, one of my children thinks that the letter E stands for enough. And again, I'm not going to tell you which child it is. But she's run out of gas a few times. <laughs> and I love that feeling. It's, it's one of those, hey, I'm empowered. <laughs> I've got the power. But the more I drive, the more that needle keeps going down. You ever notice that? Hmm. And that's why there's a need to keep going back and back. There's a need to continue to be filled with the Spirit on an ongoing basis. Ephesians 5 18 and 19. It says, Be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord. And the phrase, Be filled with the Spirit, could better be understood, Be being filled. It's a continuous process. Just like your car, the more you use it, the more you need to fill it up. But unlike the gas for your car, there's an endless supply of the Spirit and the price has already been paid. Revelation chapter 22, the last chapter of the Bible says, the Spirit and the bride say come and let the one who hears say come and let the one who is thirsty come, and who, let the one who wishes take the free gift of the water of life. So we have power, we have life, we have truth, we have freedom. And all of these are being offered by the indwelling presence of the Spirit of God. And so Paul's encouragement is to walk by the Spirit, to allow his power to to set you free, to allow the prompting prompting of the Holy Spirit in your life to reach out and love others. Now, the proof of that is not when everything's going well. The proof of that is really when it's not going well. Someone years ago came up with this little saying. It says, Christians are like tea bags. Their real strength only comes out when they get into hot water. And so that will be the proof of how much we are allowing the Spirit of God to influence and empower our lives. But then, as you walk in the Spirit... You will find your desires to begin to change from yourself to the things of God. In Psalm 37, verses 4 and 5, here's what we read. It says, Take delight in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord, trust in him, and he will do this. They say, well, what are the desires of my heart? Well, if you delight yourself in the Lord, the things then that your heart desires are the things that God would desire. And he is most anxious to give us those things that he desires. There's a promise of continual power that can be ours. And why do we have this? So we can serve one another. The question Why are so many in our churches today living in discouragement and weakness, and why do so many struggle? Let me suggest an answer. It's in verse 17. Because we are still in a fight. It says, For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They're in conflict with each other, so that you are not to do whatever you want. See, all it takes is for one person to act in a selfish, self centered way, and conflict has the opportunity to arise. What's the rest of our response? Refuse to be offended. Hmm. Refuse to be offended, refuse to take offense. Over the years, there's been times when people come up to me and say, you're going to get mad at me for this. And they say, well, I highly doubt that. Because I have a choice whether I get upset or not. My life is not programmed in such a way that I have to respond to a negative with a negative. I'm not saying I'm perfect. Oh, my goodness. I am in the same struggle as every one of us here. And I fight the same battles every day, and sometimes maybe even more. But I do realize that I need the presence and power of the Holy Spirit on a daily basis to even come close to living this victorious, free, Christian life. Unless we take time to refuel, we're going to run out of gas. See, our cars have warning lights, When we are low in fuel, and so do our lives in a way. Because what are the lights? Well, we have a lack of joy. We have a lack of peace. We have a lack of purpose. And when those things happen, we—those are God's warning lights, saying you need to come back to the living water. You need to come back to let the Spirit fill you up. And when we we become more focused on ourselves and on others, these are signs that we need to come back and be refilled. And so Paul ends off this section by simply telling the Galatians, and in us by extension, but if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. Huh. What law? Well, just that law that we've been talking about. The law identified in Romans 6 and referred to in our text, the law of sin and death. We see the purpose of the law earlier in Galatians in chapter 3 was. The law was our guardian or our tutor until Christ came so that we might be justified by faith. What did it do? It taught us how bad we really were and how far we'd strayed from the mark. That was the purpose of the law. But the law couldn't save us. It couldn't change us. That's why God sent his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. We sang about it today. I believe in God the Father. I believe in God the Son. I believe in the resurrection. I believe in the three in one. Believe in the Holy Spirit. And those are the things that we have come to understand is what our freedom cost. Christ on the cross, his death and resurrection. So we have now been set free in the spirit to live the life God intended us to live. And the earmark of that love is the ability that we have been given to serve one another humbly in love. Matt, why don't you bring your team back up? Because so I want to leave you all with this thought. We touched on it earlier. But I figure that my main purpose in life is to help every one of you in your journey from earth to heaven. And I want to do all that I possibly can to be sure that every one of you gets there. I figure that's my number one purpose in life. And if I'm serving you, and you're serving me, then we are helping each other reach that heavenly goal. And God is most willing to give us the power of his Holy Spirit to help us do this. So, have you allowed the Holy Spirit to fill your life have you made room for him and today is a perfect opportunity to let him fill your life again with his presence thank you for listening for any questions about the message or to contact any of our pastors Please visit Scott